Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Dafyomi. My name is Yitzchak at Shalom. We are now in Masachet Babakama on Daf Mem Dalad Amud Aleph, looking at the sixth Mishnah of the fourth chapter. Shor Shaimit Chachech Bekotov Rafal Al Hadam. Shor was rubbing up against the wall, scratch himself, to itch himself, and the wall fell down and killed somebody. <coughs> or he was trying to kill, but he was trying to kill an animal. And inadvertently killed a person. The Kanani Rag ben Israel, he tried to kill a non-Jew and killed a Jew. Then Falim Rag ben Kayama, or tried to, was aiming to kill a baby that had died and ended up killing a live one, Patur. In other words, the animal is only executed, um, if it intended to kill someone who it would be killed for killing. Okay, let's see how this plays out. Shmuel limits the exemption. He says that we don't kill the animal, but the owner does have to pay kofar. That's, of course, if it's a muad. Rav says exempt means exempt all the way. Vyamai, the question is on Shmuel. Hatamhu, after all, we figure that this shore is a short time. Why would he pay kofar? So Rav, in another context, said that theoretically you could have an animal that's muad to do things clumsily, as it were. So an animal that regularly goes after uh, grass that it sees at the bottom of a pit, paying no, no attention to the fact there are people there and hurting those people, so it's muad for that clumsiness. The same thing here, you have a shore that doesn't intend ever to kill, but keeps killing. So So we have a shore that's muad to rub against walls and knock them over and kill people. The question is, is there such a muadut? The essential problem here, of course, is that if we are finding him liable for kofar, that means he has to be a shor muad. If it's a shor muad, that could be an accident. So if he's really muad, then he should be killed. In the case of a boar, I understand he sees green, the green, which is the vegetables, he goes after them and falls and kills somebody. But here he wasn't intending anything. So the answer is here he was trying to rub against the wall. And how do we know that that's all he intended and not hurting anybody? Because after it fell, he rubs against the stones. So you see, that's what his intent was. Nonetheless, it's all tzorot, because after all, the wall falls and then the stones fall away and kill somebody. That's tzorot. And certainly there is no din of kofar by tzorot. They don't fall away. He knocks them and pushes them and they kill somebody. Now, we have a sprite that supports Shmuel that says that he is liable for Kofar and against Rav. Yeah, and we have the following Brighta that establishes all four possible categories of Mita and Kofar. You could have a circumstance where the animal does damage, kills, and has to do both, pay both. It's possible to pay kofar, but not kill the animal. And that right there tells you uh, Shmuel, support Shmuel. You can have the flip. You can have a circumstance where he kills, and nonetheless is exempt from both. How does it play out? If it's a short muad and intends to kill, and then it's killed and you pay kofar. A short muad that didn't intend to kill, it's exactly like Shmuel. Tom becoming out short Tom that intends to kill. Of course, there's no kofar as we've established several times for a short time, but he is killed. Tom shelo That's very easy. 
The end of the Brighta says that if a shore does damage, not killing, but damage, without intent, Rebihuda says you still chayav, and this is of course talking about Karen, not regular Shane. Maita Rabbi Shimon says Shapatur. Maita Rabbi Yehuda. Why does Rabbi Yehuda says you're liable? Yalif mi Kofer because he learns from Kofer or Kofro. Ma Kofro shall abchavan achayav if a shor muad kills, even if he didn't intend to kill, he still pay Kofer. Afan nezakin namish labchavan achayav. Same thing with nezakin. Even if it was no intent, he still have to pay. Rabbi Shimon says Yalif mi katle the shor. You look at how the shor is killed. Ma katle shall abchavan apatur. You don't kill the shor if he did it inadvertently. Same thing with Zakin. You uh, don't have to pay if he did it unintentionally. Why doesn't Rehuda infer it from killing and say that he's exempt? The answer is because you judge one payment from another, meaning the payment of Kofair sets the model for the payment for Nezakin. You can't learn what to do about payment for Nezakin from whether or not you kill the animal. Killing is a different story. Why doesn't Rabbi Shimon infer from Kofar that you're chayav? The answer is, Killing the shore and paying for Nezakin are things that the shore generates. As opposed to Kofar, which is really a payment of the owner's negligence. As we've seen several times, the Kofar Kufra Kapara, and that seems to be the consensus, that everyone agrees the Kofar is ransom for the life of the owner that really should be forfeit. All right, the end of the Mishnah said, Kavena, Orgata, Melagata, Adam, etc., Patur. So if he aimed at a, an animal and killed a person, or he aimed at a dead person and killed a live person or whatever, then he's Patur. What's the implication? Han Kavena, Orgata, implying that if he intended to kill one person, and then killed another person, both of them live Jews, then Chayav, so that is not in accordance with If a shore intended to kill a person and killed another person, he's patur. Right? And that can, cannot be in our Mishnah, because then we would have picked that more radical statement. Why does Rabbi Shimon say that the animal has to intend to kill the victim that dies? In the case of a shore muad that kills, we say this, the shore is stoned and the owner also dies. That's kofer. So the Torah equates the two. Just like with a person, you're not chayav unless you aim to kill the person that you killed. Same thing with a shore. How do I know that halacha by a person killing a person? In the context of Are Miklat, the Torah distinguishes between a premeditated murder, who could not go to Are Miklat, and describes him as someone who lays in wait and attacks him, and aims at the person he kills, which means that he has to really intend to kill that person, and a person cannot be executed for killing another unless the one that he killed is the one he intended to kill. Not just that he wanted to kill somebody and he missed and killed somebody else, that's not enough. And therefore the same thing with the shore. For Rabbanan, Rabbanan agree with Rabbi Shimon's essential juxtaposition, uh, reading the juxtaposition and says that uh, the shore is like Adam, but they don't have the same threshold for Adam that he has. What do they do with that? It doesn't mean you have to intend for the guy that you killed, but it, it is excluding a case where you throw a rock into a group. 
and kill somebody. Talk about a case where there's ten people. We dealt with this in the first paragraph of Ketubot. And none of them are non-Jewish, and one is Jewish, and you ended up killed in a Jewish guy. The, the rove there are Kananim. So you know, Palga Palga, even if you want to look at the group as Kavua, even if it was five and five, or if you want to look at them as Kavua, then we have a Safek, and you're not going to kill this guy, me Safek. So we're talking about a case where there's nine Jews and one Kanani. Even though majority of Israel since there's one non-Jew there, we regard the group as Kavua. So in other words, Rabbanan say that the Pasuk that says means you have to intend to kill a uh, a somebody who who you'd be liable for killing and kill somebody you'd be liable for killing, but not necessarily the same person, and therefore the same thing with a shore. And therefore, if a shore intends to kill a person and kills another person, he's chayav. Rabbi Shimon says no. For murder, you have to intend to kill the victim, and therefore, in the case of a shore, he has to intend the one that actually gets killed. Okay, Mishnah Zayin uh, deals with different issues of ownership. Shore haisha, if a shore is owned by a woman. Because the text says ba'alav, so I may think it's only a man. Vishor yatomim, who don't have an apotropus, or shor ha'apotropus, who's operating on behalf of the yatomim. Vishor ha'midbar, literally a desert ox, but it means is um, one that isn't owned by anyone. Shor ha'hekdesh, owned by hekdesh. Shor ha'ger shemait lo'meinayoshin. If a shor was owned by a ger who died and had no heirs. These, so the last three are all forms of hefker, there's no owner. And the first three are where the ownership is by somebody who seems to not be in our parsha. All of these, um, uh, all of these, chayavin mita. Nonetheless, the chayav mita. Rabbi Yudah Meir Shoramidbar, Shoramidbar, accepts the first three, but but dissents about the last three because it says they have no owner. The first three have owners that may be considered possibly deficient, especially in the case of Yitomim. But the last three have no owners at all, therefore he can't be stoned. Now, Tanarabana, what's the basis of this? Shor Shor Shiva, which means seven times in the context of Shor Shanagach, we have the word Shor. Shor Shanagach Adam says Shor. Why seven? So one of them is for the Parsha itself. We have six left. The six that we have in our Mishnah are included, even though we wouldn't know to include them. Exactly quotes from our Mishnah. Now, Amrav Huna, he makes this, the following statement, that Rabbi Huda would exempt uh, a shore from being killed even if after it gored, the owner was makdashit, or or if he declared hefker after it gored. Mimai, how do we know that? Because our Mishnah lists two different categories that are really the same. Shor ha-midbar, hefker, v'shor ha-gershamedo in the Yorshin, also hefker. What is that? Which means those two are the same. So why did the Torah, why did the Mishnah divide them into two categories? To tell you that even if, not only it was a shore that gored and, uh, 
uh, but was not owned at the time, but even if it was owned at the time and then subsequently became Hefker, nonetheless you don't kill it, according to Yehuda. Rabbi Huda in this Brite says exactly what Rav Huna said in his name, which is even if the shore gourd, while it was owned by a private citizen and then he was Makdish or Mafkir, he's exempt, and his proof text is, it was testified, attested to in the presence of its owner. And it killed, meaning that it has to kill and be brought to court in the same status. What about the Gemardin? Who the end of the pasuk is Ashori Sakel? It's all looped together. The reality is, you have to have the killing, the court case, and the Gemardin all be while the animal has a single singular status consistent status, and therefore if it uh, if it was made hektish or hefker in the meantime, it's patur. Okay, we'll continue on with the next Mishnah. So let's say a shore was convicted and was about to be taken out to be stoned, and at that point the owner is makdishit. Eno muktash. That's not considered hektish. Shchato basaro asur. If he shechts it, it's the asur as we saw earlier. But if he went and shechted it, or, sorry, was makdish the animal before they finished the judgment and declared, yes, this animal has to die, muktash, the hektish is good. And if you shechted it, then you can eat it. We're not going to talk about that because that we will go back to that part of the Mishnah at the beginning of the next podcast. It'll be the final one on the parak. So take a look at this short piece of Gemara on the first half of the Mishnah, which really is um, is Mishnah Chet. Tanur Banan Shor Shehemit Ajlon Dimardino Mecharo Machur Hetishov Mukdash Chato Besar Mutar Zero Shomer Levei Palav Mutzar The Brayta says exactly what the Mishnah does, but it adds two more issues. And that is, if you sell it, we talked about hektesh and about shechita. If you sell it, the sale is good. And also, if you are a shomer who had it at the time, and then it killed somebody, and you returned it before Gmardin, you returned it to the owner, then muhzar, you're off the hook, you've returned it, now it's his problem. Mishini Gmardino, but if you did any of those things after Gmardin, Macharo, and Omachor, the sale is no good. Hektesh no Mukdash, the hektesh is no good. Shechato, Besaro, Asur, you're not allowed to eat the meat if you shechted it at that point. And, if you returned it at that point, that's not called returned. You're not off the hook. You still own a Yaakov disagrees and says, even after Gemar Din, if you return it, then that's called returning it. Now, perhaps the disagreement between Rabbi Yaakov and the Rabbanon is as follows. Perhaps Rabbanon say that when you are a shomer for something that then becomes osr bahanah, you can't just give it back to the owner and say, there it is, good luck. <clears throat> and therefore, once there's been a gemardin, you have to now pay him back for his loss, and, and you can't say, Rabbi Yaakov says, yes, you can. So Amr Rabbah, Rabbah said back, Everybody agrees that you can say such a thing. Because otherwise they should disagree also about Chometz Pesach. If somebody is Shomer Chometz, and then it became the middle of the day on the 14th, he can hand it back. 
Can the Gemar Din for the shore be away from the presence of the shore himself? The Rabbanon say the shore has to be there. And there and therefore, the owner could say to the Shomer, had you returned him to me before Gemar I would have run him away to the lake. They never would have found him. Since they could not judge him in his absence, he never would have been killed. But now that there's been a Gavardina, now you're handing it over, I'm, I, uh, literally, I, you've handed him over to someone who I can't litigate against. But literally, my hands are tied. I can't do anything about it. So you've made me lose, lose him. For Biakov Savar, Gomrin Dinoshal Shoshal, Biakov holds that you could finish the Gavardina if the shore is not there. So therefore, the Shomer says, the Shomer says to the guy, it doesn't matter when I returned it. Either way, there was a Gemar Din against him. And therefore, you were going to lose him anyways. So my time at Rabbanon, why did the Rabbanon say that the Gemar Din um, can be, uh, must be in his presence? They're compared. The Balim have to be present to be judged. The shore also has to be there. For Yaakov, what's his answer? He said, I understand why the Torah wants the owners, the human beings, to be there when there's a court case, because they can argue back. Elashor Bartanatahu, Elashor can't argue back. What's the point of having him there? There's no need for that. And therefore, he says that the, uh, this is our conjecture, that the case could be finished without the shore being there. And therefore, Yaakov says, either way, you're going to lose the shore. So what's the matter if I return him to you before or after the Gemar Din? Okay, we'll stop at this point. We'll pick up Mir uh, Tashem in the in the middle of this discussion. We'll go back and look at the beginning of Mishnah Tet, which was linked together with Mishnah Chet on Mem Dalar Amud Bed about handing over to a Shomer. And subsequent to that, we will then look at the end of Mishnah Tet, which is on Mem Hey Amud Bed, and then to that will take us to the end of the parak. Everybody should have a wonderful day.